Welcome to season seven of Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. The podcast took an extended hiatus over the winter, so today's episode will be about catching up. I've reassembled a panel of familiar voices to discuss the current state of the entertainment industry in the face of the ongoing pandemic. But before I introduce my guests, I want to say a few words in memory of my father, Jack Skidmore, who contracted COVID-19 in a nursing home about a week before Christmas last year and died shortly thereafter. My dad was a big part of why I got interested in film. He wasn't affiliated with the industry in any way. He spent the majority of his career in the army and was a 30-year veteran, but he loved going to the movies. It didn't particularly matter what we saw. I think my dad just enjoyed the ritual of showing up at the theater, ordering a bucket of popcorn, and seeing a movie on the big screen. It was a Skidmore family tradition, and I miss it. Of course, the theater experience is something that many of us have been missing for more than a year now, but nonetheless, film production has spent that time rapidly adapting to the pandemic. That's what my guests are here today to discuss. Allison Shea Brown, LA-based customer. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Dan Fisher, New York-based prop person and set dresser. Nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Katie Carroll, first assistant director. Glad you're here. Glad to be back. And finally, David Tutman, New York-based director and cinematographer. Welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks, kid. For listeners who may have joined us recently or long-term listeners who may need a refresher, Allison, Katie, Dan, and I originally gathered in March of 2020 to talk about the production shutdown. Tut joined us when we regrouped in June 2020 in the thick of the lockdown, and we hypothesized what it might take to get film production up and running again. Now, nine months later, I think it's fair to say that there's been a lot of movement on that front. But before we talk about larger trends, let's have each of you tell us what you've been personally up to. Katie, how about if you kick us off? Uh, well, I'm currently in New York. Uh, I was getting calls in August to maybe go back to the show that I had been on in Mexico. Uh, and then, but I wasn't sure about going back to Mexico mid-pandemic. I wasn't sure what the protocols would be. Then a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, we're starting up our show. And it's very, very COVID friendly. The vast majority of the scenes are four people in a room with no background on a stage and then some winter locations. And I said, yeah, actually in New York, I figured probably more COVID friendly just because they had to deal with so much that they're going to be more safety focused. So I've been here in New York since uh, early September, going on six months now. I want to talk more about the shows that you didn't go back to as well as what you're doing now, Katie. But first, Let's hear from our other panelists. Dan, tell us about what you've been doing. Well, uh, I believe since the last time we spoke, I finished out a very long running season one of an Apple TV science fiction show that with the pandemic hiatus uh, took us about a year and a half to complete 10 episodes, but we did. And then I immediately went on to do a pilot and we just finished that on Friday, uh, two days ago. And tomorrow, uh, Monday, from this recording, I'll be starting on a new series for HBO that will take take me through the summer. So busy, 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 Bob. That's good to hear. We're going to talk more about that. David, you're also in New York. Tell us what you've been up to. Well, uh, I hadn't worked for pretty much a year um, until about two weeks ago, uh, where I picked up a cinematography assignment that will take me through early June. Uh, I'm alternating on a show, uh, second season of a show. And um, it's been really interesting to pick up and shake off the rest. I <laughs> it's bet. It's going nicely, so. <laughs> Allison, tell us what you've been up to. Um, well, I basically kind of followed the pandemic trend and got myself pregnant and recently had a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mazel but... tov. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But before that, I actually did go back to work um, in August and we finished our sitcom um, end of November before December. So it's perfect timing because the baby was born in January. So, And you've been working on a Netflix sitcom, LA-based. Is that right, Allison? Yes. Yes. It was LA-based. Listeners of the podcast might know what I've been up to, but I'll summarize briefly. I spent the second half of last year mostly down in Atlanta, first working on a Netflix film uh, called Red Notice, working their COVID protocols and overseeing that. And then um, Afterwards, I joined a Warner Brothers TV show called Legacies, again, in uh, supporting them on their, their COVID protocols. And uh, now I'm stepping back and returning to the podcast. Glad to have everybody here. Let's talk some about the larger trends of the industry. 
I'm going to put out a hypothesis, and you guys tell me if you agree or disagree, that film production is, in fact, very busy right now, despite the pandemic. Your thoughts? Absolutely. It's crazy busy right now. Um, besides the show that I didn't return to or the New York one, I got no less than 10 different calls. Just, you know, checking availability doesn't mean I would have booked it, but I don't think I've ever gotten that many calls. It's so busy right now. Anyone who's not working isn't working because they don't want to work, frankly. Um, I, I'm going to say that um, one thing that I'm finding uh, through conversation, being that I just started again, was that um, there is a, a diminished amount of day playing on behalf of uh, camera crew members, I would certainly say. I don't know about art departments. I mean, they, it seems that that type of thing is really, really busy right now. But, um, but with testing and everything, um, productions are uh, limiting the number of days that a staff can ask for additional crew unless you know there's special circumstances script and and like on our show extras are we are limited to 30 extras and if we have a bigger crowd scene we're coming up with all sorts of uh optical uh grid systems to use those same 30 people in different clothing uh and and time sucking like crazy but it, that's the you know that's the thought at least and um you know so so uh, it is really busy though i will say that too there are tons of productions and more coming and uh, i think for certain people you know in you know who are in like leadership roles there there are probably a finite number of people for those positions and they're probably really in big demand right now well a lot of what i do in in my job i don't i don't really literally dress a whole lot of sets anymore uh because of my pre-existing condition and, and because of the pandemic um, I'm actually, I actually just finished the last job I did working in a literal bubble. Um, I, we, we set up a tent in our shop and put plastic walls, clear plastic walls around it. And that's where I did most of my work, which is among other things, um, lining up uh, set dressers for the week and, 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 and scheduling their COVID, making sure they come in for their COVID tests, making sure they get paid their $250 stipend for coming in on a day off to take a COVID test and making sure that production pays them that. Um, and, and I will tell you that, yes, it, it, the, the busyness, the, the, uh, it's, it's all reflected in the fact that we were, we were having to bring in a lot of permit workers, a lot of people, it was their first time ever on a film set or dress, even just dressing a, a location. We brought in a lot of people from Local One, which I was very happy to do because those folks have really had it bad. You know, live performance is still shut down. And so I was happy to give these people a lot of work. And I, I know that theater very often is, is, a, is a lifestyle which encourages discipline and, and, and professionalism. And, and we were very happy with our local one workers. And a lot of the people I also dealt with were Teamsters uh, because another aspect of my job is to make sure that we, we load the right set elements onto the right truck that go to the right locations. And I can tell you too, that uh, the, fin the one I just finished up, at one point I had four trucks and a van on and only one of those trucks had the traditional one driver and one helper. All the rest of the trucks were single drivers. And that's unusual, but it's just that, that the Teamsters could not spare any more drivers. They were stretched so thin. They were bringing on people who had never worked in that particular field of entertainment before. So yes, very busy, you know, creating entertainment that uh, people watch while they're still stuck at home, I guess. Yeah, I would agree. I, would, I think LA has been really busy. My show that got start, we started back in August, um, I started getting calls, I think July, August, September, and like through the fall. So the entire time I was finishing my trunk of my sitcom, I was getting calls like almost like every other week to work on shows. You know, can you work for six months? Can you work for a month? You know, we just, we need to finish, we need to finish our last episode or, you know, we're doing pickups or something, but it was actually for part-time and long-time work. Um, and at the time I wasn't really public about, you know, being pregnant. So people were still offering me like really long-term jobs. And since then, like, obviously people joked like, oh, you know, do you and your baby want to work on a pilot? Um, but <laughs> he can, like, he can like, get his <laughs> your baby can get the union card in like no time <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I've literally gotten those kind of texts. Like, you, you guys interested? Like both of you? Like, you know, we're starting, you know, starting this date, we end here. But, you know, obviously people know that I'm not working right now, but I still have already gotten like calls and texts saying like, when do you think you want to start working again? Because... Hmm. 
you know, people that have already started their show in the fall and like are already kind of know their end date are already picking up like their next shows. So they're kind of already trying to figure out their crews. So, um, and honestly, I don't really know when I'm going back because I kind of want to see how COVID plays out too. So I can't even give an honest answer because I don't even know. And this is our first kid. So I'm really curious to see when I also want to go back because, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that, um, that mothers and pregnant mothers can get the vaccine, but you know, right now I'm not pregnant, so I can't get the, that vaccine and I'm not old enough and I don't have a pre-existing condition. And um, also mothers that um, are like caretakers of like special needs children can get vaccines, but I don't really fall under any of those. So I can't get the vaccine right now. So um, well, I'll just see how it plays out. You know, my partner and I, we just don't know when will be the safe time. And my friends that have gone back to work and put their kids in daycare, they're and if say one person has the vaccine, the other person has to wear the mask the entire time they're back in the house because now the kid could be the carrier. So I, I don't really know how we want to live our life yet. So we're just really kind of seeing how um, how we feel and how COVID and um, the herd immunity, if it works with the vaccines and who's getting it. Um, our families haven't even seen us yet since we've had the baby and we're already approaching month two. So it's, wow. it's pretty sad and it's kind of like bleak, but also we're just being really precautious and before the two month mark of a, of a newborn, their, their immune system is really um, vulnerable. So we've just been waiting, we've just been waiting. I wanna talk more about vaccines. Uh, let's put a pin in that as far as how vaccines will, will change things going forward. But before we do, I wanna look back historically a little bit about how things have developed over the last six, seven months. Quickly, when I started in July on Red Notice for Netflix, there was not a lot of production going on. Netflix said at the time, we're going to run 10 shows, small group, and see what works and doesn't work. And in fact, Red Notice was halfway done before they got shut down. And so it was very much, uh, we've invested this much money up front. We're willing to spend extra money for the COVID protocols and such so that we can finish a movie that has you know big actors and a big movie. We want to finish it. And so we're going to put that up front. And they also had some other productions that had reshoot days or things like that. But that's how it started. We went in, we had all the money in the world. We built a huge team. We were doing a bubble. More on that when uh, Red Notice actually comes out. I'll, I'll bring some of those folks in to talk about it. But even in the course of that, other productions started up, even Netflix production, much faster than they predicted. I think there was largely a fear of being left out, that if some people were producing things, the other studios and networks and streaming services were very much we got to do our stuff as well. And there was suddenly a huge rush when honestly there wasn't that much COVID expertise. Too fast, not too fast. I haven't heard a lot of the disasters. What do you guys think or what did you see about those trends, particularly in LA and New York? I was in Atlanta, of course. Well, I, I see first of all that um, what you're saying is is pretty much proven by by daily press or week, at least weekly press announcements with a, a new streaming service pretty much every week, whether it's Paramount Plus. I can't remember if we were talking Disney Plus at the time at the time of our last uh, encounter, but they're just new and new avenues uh, keep opening up. It's it's a it's a seemingly limitless uh, fountain of money, and it, it is a tremendous amount of financial. Uh, risk behind it, you do have to have a lot of money in order to start these streaming services and to provide the production to fill up all of those hours. Um, So, you know, is it, is it too fast? I, you know, I, I I was, I was very involved and very aware of the development of the um, return to work agreement. And I think you and I spoke about that. Um, I was hosting um, weekly zoom meetings with fellow prop and set, set decorating friends um, leading up to the passing of, of that. And among, among those people were our uh, union representative for uh, Union Shop Steward. So we could see what, what was asked for and we could then see what we eventually got from the return to work agreement. And on paper, what the return to work agreement asked for, I think really did make it as, I, listen, I still think it's safer to go on a film set than it is a grocery store. You totally. know, at least we, we know that we know that our coworkers are being tested. We know that the results are being rushed pretty quickly, usually a day or, or, or within a 24 hour to, to the, at the longest 48 hour period. Um, so I think it's relatively safe, but at the same time, it's not perfect. I, you know, I had a show shut down for two weeks 
because we had uh, zone A people, one of our zone A, A people got, to, got tested for positive. So that took away the actors, the director, the DP, the sound people. We were, we were out for two weeks. So it's not perfect. I think it's better. And I, and I think we will discuss probably in a little bit the adherence by both production yeah. personnel and crew as to how, how closely we've, we've really paid attention to those guidelines. Right now, industry-wide, I'd give us a B minus. Well, that's interesting, Dan, on, on the rating, because I do actually agree with you. When we last talked about this, I think I expressed some skepticism that it was even possible for us to do the work that we needed to do under these sort of restrictions. However, when I started working in the COVID space and being responsible for some of these protocols, I was convinced that if people follow the rules, wear your mask, maintain distance, wash your hands, neither of my sets did we have any documented onset passing. We did shut down sometimes, um, mostly because, as you said, someone tested positive, and if you have an actor test positive, all the other actors have been without their mask, they got to go into quarantine for a period of time to see if they develop. But even in those cases, we didn't have a lot of people developing separately, and it really was that kind of shutdown. We didn't get a lot of passing on set, but again, we were really strict about the rules, and I think that that, that, that kept it safe for us. Again, yeah, though, well, you can't control the larger society, right? That's the right. where where it spreads and what people are doing on their off time with different approaches. That's the kicker. And as Allison pointed out, you know, children, well, especially Allison's baby, you know, learn, you know, developing an, an immunity as we speak. But still, you know, I, I the the jury, I think, I think the scientific jury is still out in terms of how children can spread, how easily or not easily children can attain the virus and spread it to other people. Um, but yeah, your, people go home to their kids, their kids were at daycare, their kids were at kindergarten, their kids were with other friends, their, their, their spouses, their partners, their, their lovers, whatever, are all, you know, everybody goes out at some point, you know, if, we don't just go home to our bubbles. So it's, 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 it's going to be flawed no matter what. There's no, you know, no way unless you do that thing that I think Tyler Perry did early on, where it's like everybody works in a, in a, in a camp, an encampment for three weeks. But that does not make for happy crew people, and I don't think you could do that in you know industry wide. Um, but I just want to say one other thing too, and I don't mean to monopolize this conversation, which is that in addition to the show I did where we had to take two weeks off because the the A the A people got uh, p- tested positive. In my department, two weeks prior to that, we had ten people in my department ha- get quarantined. One person got tested positive. And it was determined that nine other set dressers had to quarantine as well. And you know, we're in the middle of, of production, and one of my teamsters tested positive the very next day. So in that amount of space, I had to call local 52, get 10 new set dressers, get them tested, get them back on the work site, and then uh, and then we had to get new teamsters as well. But the production doesn't shut down for for those of us below the line as, <laughs> as it shows, not, not usually, you know, unless it's a real mass infection, but when the people next to the camera and certainly in front of the camera ha- go down, we all go down. That's the way it is. Yeah. The most we had is we shut down. I mean, only for a few days here and a few days there, mostly because we had a couple of zone B test positive and because like in construction and because of their pods and the way they were working, we would lose those people to go quarantine. So art department and construction fell way behind. And I'm on a first season show. So these aren't standing sets. They're starting from scratch with these sets that are very, very complicated. So when we had one zone A person test positive and it happened to be on a Monday and they hadn't, been, they hadn't worked the previous week, so we didn't have to shut down due to them, but we ended up shutting down just because, all right, well, they're out. The only actors available can film on the sets that aren't ready because zone B hasn't finished building them yet. And it becomes this weird domino effect for scheduling that is very, very difficult in that, okay, well, we can't film with that actor, but we can't film on this set, but we can't film here. Okay, so these are the three scenes we can film. Oh, that actor's in LA and they need to fly in and quarantine for, at the time, 10 days. Okay, this is what we can do. Well, let's film this one scene. One scene is not worth a day. Let's shut down. Let's call it a day of prep. Let's do this. So. The, the balls in the air, the constant shuffling, the constant reevaluating as every day something changes is one of the things that we've really had to deal with on my show. 
as to like coming back too fast or something like you're never going to know if you came back too fast until you do it. That's one of the things it's like our business. I think I said it on the previous podcast, we adapt. That's what we do. So when, if we came back too fast, we learned how to like, okay, hang on, slow this down, figure this part out, figure this part out, move this around. But also every single show is different. You're going to have shows that are a little bit more lackadaisical. They're going to have shows that are much more stringent. So I, Dan, I think your assessment is right about B minus. Some shows are a, some shows are failing and it averages to a B B minus. And I think that's about right. I think the difference is between the A productions and the B minus or the F, F productions even, it's, it's, it's both a combination of the ability to come up with a system and keep it properly organized. And it's also just a matter of how much of, can I say a curse word on this show? How yeah, much of a shit you give, you can beat me <laughs> out if you want. Um, you know, on, on, on all the things I've worked so far, you know, there has been, you, you get the protocol, you get the, you get the, the memos, you get the, the things you have to sign to say that you read the memos, you take the, the online courses and that's all great. And that's, that's wonderful. And we all have COVID teams, but there was one show I did where I thought the COVID team was spot on. The, the, the temperatures were checked first thing every morning um, for the onset crew, they were done, you know, before you could enter the set. Um, I can't say for this last one I did what the onset thing was about, but I know that for us offset people, there were days we didn't get temperature checked, or if it did, they, they would come in at like noon. And I'd be like, guys, if, if you're going to take our temperature, if we're going to find out we're sick, the time to do it is like seven o'clock. We get here at seven, maybe you should too. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And it never happened. You know? So it's like, are you just checking off a list because that's your job? Or do you really give a shit? And do you really want to be part of this, this whole, this worldwide team of people that want to get rid of, of COVID, not only within our industry, but within our society? Let's take a moment to do a quick aside because we referenced zones and all of our listeners might not be familiar with how things are set up. I know that a lot of the studios were in fact ahead of the industry standards on designing zones and different studios and different productions use, and you guys tell me if it's still true, some different standards, whether it's colors or letters or numbers. But basically when we're talking about zone A, it's anyone that has to be in a space where actors will be without masks who are at the most risk. So anyone else that's in that space. And the idea of the, the protocols is to minimize the number of people that have to be ever within not just six feet, but even 10 feet of the actors, like to create that kind of zone. Were you guys seeing similar implementations of that guideline or were there even stricter things you were following? I'd say it was similar, yet um, in order to facilitate smooth movement, um, pretty much my entire camera grip and electric crew are zone A. And within that, um, it is contingent upon us uh, and in collaboration with the AD and the COVID officers to make sure that we're populating uh, the set in a, in a proper controlled manner, when the actors are around especially. When they're not around, um, there, there's only so much room on it in a tight space, of course, uh, but uh, we're crowding it up. You know, it's certainly getting those ten, you know, those those three electricians and a couple of grips to rig a light are in there. I'm finding it's in this world of cableless lights, um, it's simplifying things, and that that has a tremendously positive uh, COVID uh, implication in regard to how many people need to be in a room to set a light at a point. Uh, the, the solution on, on, my, on my company's part is not to um, limit the number of people with access, but to test a larger number uh, and ensure the safety that way by giving, you know, by having a number of people who are have access when necessary. I mean, I think there's a challenge with testing though, right? Like it really, yeah. you're getting a, you get a snapshot of whether they had the virus a day or two. And I know the testing has gotten more sensitive and, but it's really, I, when I've been on productions where they wanted to use testing as a gateway, I thought that was a mistake. Like actually, to, because Agreed. It, 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 it's a, a false sense of security that that, that, that can create. It, it's, it's mostly about, um, I don't know, constancy of motion, I, I, I'm going to call it. You know, the notion that uh, you're acknowledging the flow of the virus and you're doing the best you can to keep tabs on it. Um, certainly we're all going home to our families on the weekend. Uh, our sons are grown but and, uh, and working and they have their own you know, protocols and safety 
to consider. But, you know, we're out and about in the world in a different way than we were a year ago, for sure. Um, but uh, I'm home this weekend. I'm not really, I'm not going anywhere, you know. And that's part of that is my inclination when I'm resting, getting ready for a big day. But it's also, I'm going to be responsible to the community I've stepped into. Also, randomly, I never go anywhere on the weekend just because I get so tired of wearing a mask all day long. <laughs> and on the weekend, I'm so happy to wear a mask. I'm like, oh, I could go for a walk. I got to put a mask on. I'll just stay inside and look outside. I'm like, I don't, there's the mask constant is just exhausting. I think that the adherence to mask wearing, you know, I was really worried, I think the last time we were speaking about, you know, how's it going to be? you know, the political environment at that time in July pre-election, you know, who is going to comply, who is going to try to sneak around it. And, you know, I think when we first came back, I, I do know of a couple of cases where people got uh, got sent home. And, and, and I know two cases where people were dismissed uh, out, outright for not wearing masks and, and, and refusing to and putting up a big baby tantrum about it. Um, but I, I see most of the time now, at least around me and you guys, you and Katie, you and David are, are, are more onset than I, I've been in a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of resistance anymore, even even to the uh, the supposed tough guys that, that were going to try to fight it. They've given up. They they want their paychecks. Yeah, I was going to say, for the most part, everyone wears the mask and doesn't have issues. The only thing I've had to learn as we left the stage and went out in the New York winter locations, I've had to find mini bubbles for the first ACs to pull focus because as they wear glasses with the mask, it fogs up, they can't see, they can't pull focus. I'm like, so they have to pull their mask down just to literally see the monitor. So I'm like, okay, then you stand over here, ne not next to anyone, we'll get plexi around you for this scenario just so they can see. Or I've had to explain to the COVID monitor, who's not someone who's used to being on set, who's a nurse and a COVID monitor, um, why the steady cam operator can't wear the shield, that he just has to wear the mask. But he has to wear the shield. I'm like, it's a safety issue if he's wearing the shield and there's a reflection and he can't see where he's walking. He's got glasses on naturally, he just wears glasses. I don't, this is a bigger safety issue than COVID. I hate saying that, but if he trips and falls and breaks a leg, like I could see that's an issue. So I have to kind of explain why there are exceptions to the overall rules. And there are exceptions, but we figure out how to make them work. Well, at least for that, it's, it sounds like it, it, it's obviously was a safety consideration. Yes. It wasn't just about, well, we need to get the shot before lunch. No. Exactly. And I, I guess that's another thing I'm, I'm curious what you and Dave have to say is, you know, my concern had, had always been too, once we go back, are we going to be able to take our time and do this right? Or are we going to expect the same results only with a lot more precautions and a lot more limits? Uh, I think everyone acknowledges where I am that uh, these some of this stuff takes time. There are layers. The uh, the ability to communicate uh, crisply and quietly with your coworkers is limited severely. Sometimes uh, that's the hardest part to me is the 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 need to like lean into my gaffer to the assistant director to just have a quick moment to talk about the strategy for the next ten minutes or or where that light needs to go or let's not pay attention to that freaking guy. You know, just even if it's just that moment, you know, and let's do what we know we need to, you know, those that's all compromised. Um, I will say that I am finding that uh, it basically everyone is in the same boat. There, there have been some resistances to um, PPE on set, uh, for certainly shields. Um, but uh, one crew member reminded another crew member about someone who passed away. Mm. And that changed the whole thing. And um, you can definitely tell that, you know, there are definitely, um, I have some old school thinkers on my job who are also some of the younger members of my crew. Um, but, uh, and they have their doubts about all this. And you can tell by the way in which they deal with their PPE. But I do feel very strongly that everyone's is very concerned with looking out and uh, understand that we're in this circumstance. And the only other thing I'll say, I guess, is I am constantly blown away by the amount of plastic that is being used. It's, it's, it's killing me. <laughs> it, it, it's horrible. Yeah, completely agree. The, the, the lunch 
double bag, like one bag, half a lunch is in a plastic bag and then they put it in a brown paper bag. Oh, you can recycle those bags. Like, or you could just not use two bags. Like, I just, <laughs> the amount of PPE we go through, the amount of the shields, if you don't, if you didn't order your own shield that, that can flip up and flip down and they just hand you a plastic shield. And if you leave it on the set that night and you forget to take it with you, like I'm trying to be good and use mine for yeah. two, three weeks until it's so scratched up, I can't see through it and then replace it. But I like, there's stacks of them. I'm like, oh my God, well, I, I'm trying to be green also, but mm. trying to save lives. So yeah, between saving lives <laughs> and saving the earth, I'm going to choose a life right now, but still like- And oh it's my all God. saving lives. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, holy cow, it's amazing. Allison, one of the things you brought up last time was uh, specifically in terms of your sitcom that you had kids that it wasn't clear how much larger they were going to be six months later, when you went back to work, did how did you guys manage that with your completion of that uh, series for Netflix? It was one of those like unspoken things. It's like when you switch a character and you cast differently. It's like, oh, she's just older now. We, I mean, I don't know. We just kind of dealt with it. Luckily, two of the kids were roughly the same size. However, one of the boys' voices, like he went through puberty. So he was all of a sudden like a man when he came back. Like I was like in the fitting room. I was like, who's in there? I was like, is that, do we have a new boy? I'm like, no, no, he just went no, through puberty. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one of the little girls, she just, she definitely had a growth spurt. So we just kind of dealt with that. Um, but yeah. Um, and in terms of the zones, um, you know, that was kind of like a muddled thing because in terms of costume and uh, hair, hair and makeup, we touch, it's very intimate because we touch the actors constantly. We, you know, so a lot of us are zone A or, you know, the greens or whatever, the highest zone. So you're getting tested a lot. I would get flipped a lot because I'm not on set, but I constantly go to set with my designer to approve looks, to run things back, to change people quickly. And, you know, in fittings, I mean, you know, you're with them a lot. So I would get constantly flipped. And then on our call sheet, it would show like the color zone you're in. And so when you walk in that day, you know, you know, what if you're getting the PCR or the rapid, the PCR is more thorough. Um, and then you can, you can check if you had it before or, or now, or, you know, et cetera, that rapid's not as um, accurate. So we would alternate depending on which one you would get and depending on your zone. Um, so my zone constantly got flipped. It, it was, it was just because, you know, A, I think budget wise in terms of the production and also like, are you really going to be with the cast that day or are you just going to be out shopping? Uh, you know, it depends on, you know, how much we touch them or we're exposed to them. At the same time, like when you would go to set, I thought that was interesting because once the actors took their masks off, you're kind of all in the same bubble. So like our grips mm -hmm. only got tested, I think once a week, you know, mm -hmm. and then, but they're still just like walking by with a light. So like, they're still in proximity to those actors. So I, I don't know, but at the same time I was pregnant and I didn't feel, I didn't feel unsafe because we were covered. We had gowns, we had shields, we had masks. We weren't allowed to wear our own. It was always what was provided to us. So it was like the proper proper PPE. And unfortunately, we also would throw away a lot of plastic. And But all and at the same time, they didn't want to reuse it. You know, if it was touched, yeah. it was exposed. And then with costuming, you know, we also couldn't go into their wardrobe trailer like we used to. We'd have to hand it off or they would have to drop their things off. And we would have to launder all the time. So that's why we were in a higher zone because we're touching everything. and. Also, we couldn't pamper our actors as much as they would have liked. <laughs> you know, it was no more comfort shoes, no more comfort jackets. It was kind of just like deal with it. And we did take away a lot of our background. It just, you know, we didn't, we no longer had a live audience that would come in. You know, it was had to be canned laughter, you know, and our, our actors and our comedians essentially, you know, and they're used to traveling on and doing stand up. So they want an audience. So I, it did break my heart a little bit that COVID changed that, but. I didn't feel like we went back too soon because like Katie was saying, like, you kind of just don't know unless you do it. And I think for a sitcom, you know, we weren't on different locations. We weren't traveling with the crew. It was the best contained scenario ever. They just cut back how many people were on set. So it wasn't that bad. And in my shop setup, you know, again, because of my pre-existing condition, um, you know, being a heart transplant patient, I, you know, I'm extremely sensitive to, being there in general, I'm, I'm very afraid. Um, that's why I have my bubble. But I also, I'm not just thinking of myself, I'm trying, to, I, it just makes me more, I think I'm more aware 
than, than most of the people that I work with. And, and so what I saw a lot of, and this was, was an issue broached by David and I think by all, by all of us really, is how do, you know, how do you maintain social distancing in this workspace? How do you not be too close? Or how, you know, the, I think that the agreement was, well, uh, if, you're, if, you're with, if, if you're within six feet, it's okay as long as you aren't there for a prolonged period of time, 10 to 15 minutes. But that's not scientific. That's just, <laughs> that's just wishful, hopeful thinking. But it's also, it's, it's, it's accommodating the fact that I think it would be impossible for us to have a production where we 100% of the time kept, kept six feet from one another, whether we're loading a truck or, or, or operating a camera, what have you. But even in my simple shop setup, where we're not under the urgency of an AD asking how much time, et cetera, there's still a, a hesitancy. It's just human nature to, to social distancing. I, I was constantly saying to my people, especially just in idle moments, six feet more, more than six, six feet, please, six feet. Oh, oh. Or when I would come out of the bubble to address a Teamster or another set dresser to say, these are the things we need to do the day, they would naturally start walking toward me especially as they spoke, it's just a social custom. We like to get close. And I literally did what I called the COVID tango. As they're walking toward me, I start walking backward. And if they don't get the hint, I put my hand up like uh, Diana Ross in the Supremes. And that's what it has to, people are just still used to, it's been over a year, but people are still used to the customs with which they grew up. That you, you, you get in tight to people, especially if you like them, if you wanna be close to them, it's just a natural thing. And, and, and again, we got to do these jobs. And sometimes we do have to fudge on those hard rules. But my, my particular case makes me kind of the, uh, you know, the guy that's, that's constantly uh, griping at people, uh, just because just I'm aware of that. Actually, David, I think you'll appreciate this. On my show, the DP would always like say, hey, Katie, and I would turn and kind of take a step towards her. It's like, no distance. I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm trying to keep my distance, however, Somehow you always manage to say something on my left ear, which is the ear with my walkie-talkie in it. And <laughs> I can't, I'm like, I'm actually just kind of turning so I can put my right ear closer to you so I can hear what you, so yeah. just if you approach me from your right, I'm just gonna look at you or turn my head so I can hear you. If you approach me from left, I, I'm trying to look at you so I can read your lips, which I can't read because you have a mask on. It's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but Dan, you're right. It's, it's mind-blowing. You always turn towards, and like, especially if someone's like six foot, foot plus away from you, that's not a normal speaking space. Like right. even if you don't want to get like close talk or close, but you want to get closer than six feet if someone's actually talking to you because between masks and shields and like air purifiers that are on, it's hard to even hear. So you feel oh, like you're incredible. yelling. At, that's, that, that's one thing. It's like COVID doesn't get enough credit for <laughs> how hard it is to work on set with all of the noise that is now being created I, and you have to talk over it true. all. I have a, a, um, a new director uh, to television, my Ooh. first episode on the show. I have, I have a bunch of them, which is you know, one of the reasons I'm there. Um, and I'm happy to help. Uh, but I often need to like turn to the assistant director or the camera operator or the gaffer and say something that's really just for them and that I really have no intention of anyone else hearing. It's not about it being snide or anything, although sometimes it might be. <laughs> um, it doesn't help for more people to hear it. The game of telephone is a dangerous game, especially when you can't hear. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. so it, it is very frustrating because I'm, these, there are often things I wanna say that are not meant for six feet away. Mm -hmm. And you can't even you know, lip sync them. No, I mean there are the universal uh, finger signals in the on the set, of, <laughs> on the film set that that allow us to make succinct points occasionally. But exactly. Is there a, is there a finger signal yet for pull your mask over your nose? Because I should learn that one. That's that's one I get. We constantly. can make it up. Unfortunately, this is an audio show. Otherwise, we could each develop our own and right. show them to a mask. I actually had to tell our caterers twice. Can you put your mask up over your nose as you prepare my food, please? Chin, like chin shields. Yeah, chin shields. Yeah. One of the things Katie predicted last time was that it was everything was just going to take longer. You're going to need more time. Dan, you wondered if producers were going to have the patience to wait for stuff to take longer and just the extra delays. How has that played out with shows going back? Are they taking a long time? Are people patient? You got to talk about your experiences there. Well, for my show, it was interesting. They were 
set up, they were about a month away from filming when they got shut down. And they had a certain number of days per episode planned, scheduled, which was already sort of wishful thinking, but you know, start with something. And so when I joined and they, in the shutdown, they had taken the total of number of days per episode and said, okay, well, that's theoretically based on 12 hour days. If we're going to do 10 hour days, take two hours from each day, (laughs) add another day. (laughs) Right. Which actually on stage, we've actually been good about on stage. We stuck with 10 hour days for the most part. We had a couple that went over, um, but they were like set specific or actor specific, but they just did the math and said, okay, for every five days of shooting, taking two hours, add another day. So you have this many days, like, but that doesn't account for COVID. Yeah, it does. See, it's the hours. Like, no, that's based on the concept that you are going to move at the same speed. We are not going to move at the same speed. I cannot do all of the things. I, all the little t- five-minute time savers that I do 10 times a day that might save you 50 minutes and that 17 other people are also doing that save you 15 minutes here and there and end up saving you an hour and a half each day. We can't do those anymore. So that hour and a half needs to be built back in. Everything is going to take longer. And honestly, the answer I got back was, but we took those two hours. I'm like, okay, I don't think you're understanding the logic of what I'm trying to explain here. But, or the other answer was, uh, the studio still hasn't actually approved those extra days. I'm like, <laughs> the studio didn't approve COVID. It's still here. I, I don't know what else to tell you about that. The, it makes me, my, one of my favorite uh, sayings, every minute takes time. It's so and, true. And they just, they don't get it sometimes. And, you know, this isn't being driven by creating a vehicle that's safe and efficient. It's about creating a vehicle that's safe from litigation. I think, honestly, yes. there's a, that's a lot of it. Yeah. And, um, and I understand that. There, it's a business before it's anything else. And that's, that's a responsibility of, of a business to protect itself. And I, and I do feel safe on set, generally. I, I really do. I'm, we have to rem- it, it, the reasons these things are happening is are not not necessarily out of uh, care for the human condition. Exactly. Well, I think I think that's it. You could probably make one of those pie charts, and and each production sort of has a different different look to it in terms of care for the human condition versus right. getting X number of, of of footage in the can in a day versus you know fear of liability. You know, every I think every single production since since that we've come back you know, has their little packet they send out to the employees that says, you know, we at such and such productions, you know, took care of care, you know, very, very much about this and want, you know, think, you know, worker safety is number one, you know, it's, it's easy to say, but then you have to implement it. Part of that is you have to, again, you have to have it, you have to give a shit, you have to really put in the time and the money and, and, and the thought and, and some, some folks are able to do that. Some are not able to do it and some don't even want to do it. You know, I don't know the state of commercials. They've had a very shoddy record, uh, at least in a year ago or so. I don't know if they've improved any, but it's still a lot of times from my understanding, like, well, we've got this uh, kid who's taken an eight hour course and now he's your, he's your COVID manager. And it's like, well, you know, does he know, has he ever worked a job before, you know, at all? So I still have a lot of doubts, still have a lot of questions. I'm working. I, there are a couple of big studios involved in my project and they kind of, they, they, they attend to different domains within it. But I will say uh, that the safety officers and health and safety officers I've seen are knowledgeable. Um, they're film savvy and uh, they've, they're pleasant to deal with. So uh, uh, on this particular job I'm on, um, I'm amazed by the machinations of it all. Um, and I, there are things I don't understand or might think would be done differently, but, uh, I feel as if I'm seeing a good amount of care and personal involvement. And that does indeed make a big difference. Well, and I think as Katie alluded to earlier, you know, just the sheer logistical approach to, to dealing with this from a production point of view, um, you know, X, X person can only come in for these days. X location is only available for these certain days. And then your days are changed because of a, a test result or, oh, we have to test again because of this or that. I mean, this is where people, you know, this is where ADs, production managers, producers, 
you know, all these people are really earning their stripes. You know, I've, I've seen over the, over my career, the proliferation of so-called producers where, you know, it starts out with four. And by the time, you know, you're in season 10, you've got 16, 18 so-called producers (laughs) all sitting in chairs off to the side. But the truth is there are people that really know how to do it. They really know how to be producers, production managers. They really know how to take care of people and time and things. And, and, and people, some people are really, really good at it. Some people are not. And then there, I think there are some, there are a few that are just going to be jerks about it no matter what, or, you know, expecting the same results with, uh, with, with no changes in behavior. And that's impossible. One way that um, our production kind of cut down in time was from the top was our writers tried to make it like the same day for each episode. Um, mm. So that took away costume changes, hair and makeup changes. And then also they would write um, in fewer background. Interesting. That actually does save a lot of time and yeah. interaction with people. I haven't been a prop master in it probably, I guess, three years or so. So I, I, I can't really speak for any prop master. I'm curious Maybe you as, as onset observers have noticed, you know, one of my big problems when I was doing it was, was having to deal with, not really with producers so much as actors and directors and other so-called creatives who on the spur of the moment would come up to me and say, I've got a really great idea. Right? You know what would be great? Words. Yeah. yeah, which means I've <laughs> got to get in the car and start driving all over to get something before you start rolling. I mean, that's uh, still I wonder happened. if that, what's that? <laughs> I mean, that still happened. Still happened. Oh, that's sure. what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if that still happens, or, or or have people been more understanding? The creators been more understanding about the logistical problems of that. I think it's just like what we we're saying about production managers, producers. You know, right? There, there are people who get it and people who don't. And um, I think those of us who have been doing this for a long time and have seen a lot of different situations come our way, um, there's a degree of planning that's always important, but there's an, there needs to be an ability uh, to react spontaneously to things and mm-hmm. figure it out and come up with solutions that are possible and achievable within certain time and whatever parameters. And, and uh there are many who get it, like we said, and, uh, and they're the ones who make it possible to get through this extra stuff. And then there are people who are either new or uh, have a certain method of seeing the world or seeing a project that makes it much more difficult. And that's all, you know, and COVID just magnifies that I, in my head. It's just another problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And it is so busy that right now the the opportunity for an assistant or somebody uh, to to now become, you know, the, the head person in a chair or what have you, uh, you know, there's opportunity abounding for so many people. So, uh, you know, there are going to be people who are naturally good at that and get it, you know, regardless of their experience and others that are going to just have to learn the hard way. Like, you know, listen, we were all young once too. And I, I've certainly learned a lot through my mistakes. You know, ask about props. I don't want to go too deep on that because it's right. an opportunity for to plug a future episode I'm going to have some prop guys on in a couple of weeks to talk specifically about the challenges around COVID and uh, and and props on an ongoing basis. But it does, uh, to your point, Dan, it does bring up that larger issue of how things get done um, and what sort of planning can go into it. At the same time, maintaining the flexibility that lets us be creative. I saw a big shift between what I did on Netflix and then what was happening on the TV show. And there's a lot of factors there. One, it was so early with Netflix. It's large. We have a lot more control over what we want to get done to complete the movie. Um, But there was a lot of control on that. We were able to build a system on TV. I felt that there was still a lot of pressure to adapt quickly for all circumstances in ways that actually made the COVID challenge larger, even though the scope of what we were shooting was smaller in the sense of, well, it's rainy, even something like rain, we have to change sets. How do we do that quickly? We need extra electricians or we need extra folks. How do we get, how do we onboard them quickly given the testing and the, you know, how, what the turnaround is to be safe, but also a shifting of time and so much happening that just getting folks to work when there's so much production happening was its own challenge. And that uh, certainly it certainly brought some risk back in and I'd found, um, I wonder if you guys have seen similar with your shows or has it changed fundamentally about the work we're getting done? I would say the, the, the single happiest development as far as I'm concerned that COVID has uh, mandated is uh, 
the show I'm on is not shooting tandem days. And I think that's a great thing personally. I am, I am personally, I don't like tandem days. I find them to, uh, they are, they are signed uh, by the people who are paying for things that they don't care whether it's as good or not. Define tandem days for our listeners who might not Sure. Uh, basically, when you're shooting a show, they give you, uh, on a tandem, a show that does tandems, they give you eight days of principal shooting where you have your entire crew together. And then they give you an extra day, a day nine, which is called a tandem day, where your episode finishes a day nine and the other episode, the next episode, starts their day one on the same day. So you tend to split your crew. Um, you, you know, you have an out. You have a show that goes out on location, a show that stays on the stages, and so you can split the work. And you assign different actors are assigned, you know, to different. Uh, and sometimes you have to send an actor from one tandem to another, which is a whole thing in terms of timing and trickiness. But you're basically diluting your main crew. You're taking the people who know the show best, and you're sending one camera operator here, one camera operator there. Um, your key grip can only be in one place. Your gaff can only be in one place your very able best boys end up keying on the other unit, which is great because it helps them grow. That's probably the one good thing about Tandem. Uh, but for crew, it's actually way the studio lessens the number of days of production. So your regular crew, if you're on a your regular episodic uh, season of 22 episodes, that's three weeks less work for your regular crew because someone else is doing those days. Yeah, so, David, David and I worked on Law & Order for a lot of years together. And they would always try to sort of sell it to us, like, look at it this way. You guys get to you get to go to summer vacation a day or two early. Isn't that great? <laughs> we're like, no, I want to get paid for as many days as I can before I go on vacation. So no, no, I don't think so. And Dave's right. It's 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 hard to maintain. Uh, and this is off of COVID, I guess, to an extent, but it, it's it's hard to maintain quality and focus and making sure the right you know, props or the right costumes go back and forth from one location to another. It's, it's a pain in the neck and it saves somebody time and money, but it's, it's not for the, the, the benefit of the production. Well, let's turn our attention to the future. What of these process changes that we've made, do you guys think are going to stick even as the pandemic gets under control? I mean, I would have liked to have th thought that 10 hour days would stick, but we're already <laughs> going to longer days on location and I'm hearing about shows that are doing 12 to 14 hours on a somewhat regular basis. So that yeah, we're scheduled I think is, for 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think the concept of 10 hour days, if COVID didn't make us stick to that, nothing is gonna, uh, unless like flat out all unions striking for that. And even then that's a whole, that's never going to happen because there are a lot of people who like, I'm a fan of the 10 hour day, but I don't get paid hourly. There are people who like 12 hour days because they want that extra two hours of overtime. Not everybody, but just enough that it makes it really hard to make it a industry-wide true standard. So I don't think that will stick just because, like Dave was saying with the tandems, it's like if it's something that will finish the overall production in fewer days, they're going to push for it. I can't think of what might, because everything else that's COVID-related costs money. Yeah. And do you think they'll be pressured to eventually reduce these other aspects of it? What about these COVID teams? When do you think we'll have productions that don't have either monitors on set or testing going on? Like, I think that's still going to be a while, but there's probably a line on the horizon where those jobs go away because all of our, every production, whether they're serious about it or not, has someone who is responsible for COVID that's not an assistant director. Well, my completely uneducated guess is through 2021, I think we should expect the COVID team to still be a part of production. And, uh, you know, it's all about when does herd, herd immunity really start to, to kick in and, and, and make itself known scientifically? You know, when do the numbers support it? Um, I don't think productions want to make themselves liable. And, and nobody wants to be the one to be the, the, the one that sort of started up a mini flare up all over again in the industry. So I think COVID teams are here for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think COVID teams are here as long as we all still have to wear masks. We might, there right. might be a point where we don't have to wear shields or we don't have to have the very loud air scrubbers on set. But I think we have to wear masks uh, for the near future, not just the end of 2021, but beyond that. And as long as that's happening, then testing, maybe not as frequently, but testing will still happen and COVID teams. Yeah, we, we have to be really careful. It's, it, it's clear that this is a virus that uh, doesn't mind mutating. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, as long as there's uh, an, an, enough humans harboring it and allowing it to potentially change and come up with new variants that could be more contagious or, or our immune systems, aren't, it's like the flu. We might have to have a yearly COVID shot. And yeah. if we get to a place where uh, we understand the virus well enough that uh, we, we can do that and bring people back safely, I mean, the flu is basically, it's a dangerous virus for older people and stuff, but it's fairly much under what's acceptable control as a population in our in all of our heads and if we can get covid to that but we're not close yet you know we're we're still figuring this thing out the long term repercussions of it whether immunity really means something more than short term a lot of different things to figure out well i think in terms of personal crew behavior i think one thing that that could change is you know i know in my career which is uh, like 35 i've been doing this for about 35 years now but you know, for, for much of it, whenever I felt fluish or I've had a cold or whatever, I've still dragged my ass into work. Yeah. You know, because I felt that either the responsibility to. toward the show itself, that show must go on, circus worker feeling, yeah, or also, busy. you know, look, I got bills to pay. And if I don't come into work, I don't get paid. We don't get sick pay in our industry, you know. So you if you don't come in, somebody else takes your spot for the day. So I'm I'm wondering now. I, I think there will be a change in the onset culture that somebody dragging their butts in to work, even though they're coughing and hacking, it's not going. You're not going to be looked at as like a tough guy or a, a team player anymore. You're going to be looked at as a hazard, and rightly so. You know, it's it's insane some of the stuff I did. You know, for, for whatever reason I chose to, got to go in today. You know what? That's a fair point. I think you're right, and I think I think sick pay might come back. Not to the extent that it is now where, you know, if you test positive or even if you have to quarantine and you get two weeks paid or what have, even if you have symptoms, you get sick pay automatically just to make sure you stay home. Right. I'd be curious if that comes into play at a more limited basis, like number of sick days per show that you're on or something like that, but just to encourage people to not spread the basic flu, because that can take, I mean, back pre-COVID, like come September, kids went back to school that flu went around the set just as fast. The moment a kid brought it home to a parent, that parent went to set, that set, that set was a sicky, like Petri dish for a month. I'd be curious, actually, that's interesting. Sick days might actually stick around. Yeah, and as somebody, you know, I do have to put in on time cards for people to go on quarantine, you mm-hmm. know, for their sick pay for their 10 days. And it's, it's true, I hadn't thought of that. When will that, when will somebody say, well, that's enough of that? You know, that's costing us, we're paying people you know, to do nothing. We don't want to do that anymore. You know, I don't know when the return to work agreement will be, uh, you know, null and void. Actually, I think it actually says on the thing of, of, of when that will be renegotiated. I'm not sure what the date is. I think we're coming up. I think it's March 31st of this year. Is it a six month agreement versus a I don't remember. It's coming up this spring to renegotiate and to reevaluate where we are at some point. Yeah. I think it was less than a year that the original contract yeah, when I was shop steward on Law and Order with Dave, one of the things I tried to get just for our our contract, uh, if nobody else's, was uh, two sick days a year, uh, because we were doing twenty two episodes a, a season, and that was nine months out of a calendar year. People are gonna get sick, and yep. they need to stay home. Uh, and I I couldn't I couldn't get that going with either my local or or the, the production company without giving up major major stuff for it. In terms of like personal future, I feel like already I'm more selective about what I take and I immediately want to know what production it is because I'm not going to name any names of like, you know, which production I feel like is more safe or unsafe, but just in terms of just hearsay of like certain shows that I know have tested positive over and over again versus other shows, like our shows never tested positive. And although our crew was very like very conscious of it because you know one person had cancer before other people just you know they were very aware and they had kids and they didn't want to bring it home but um I definitely am more selective now and also I've never been so um ready to walk off a set not like my set but I was just like if I don't feel safe bye like there's yeah. my bag you know bye find someone else you know and I've also never spoken up so much just in terms of just like you're not making me feel safe step away or you know I mean especially when I was pregnant I was like I have a baby back off I mean I just was not shy about it and I've never been that vocal about my safety because 
you know, you don't really think about it that much because, you know, oh, we're tired, et cetera. But now it's like more than ever. I've been more vocal. I'm more selective. And I really do feel like this is going to go through 2022, not maybe through 2022, but definitely like PPE, COVID protocol, COVID teams, etc. I don't think you're going to have a cast member, especially a high profile that's going to walk on a set like, oh, you don't have a COVID team. That's okay. Yeah. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. No. They're not wearing totally right. So it's all about protecting number one on the call sheet at the end exactly. of the day. Exactly. Certainly exactly. when you have like states like Texas and Mississippi deciding that they're going to just strip all restrictions and pretend nothing's going on. As long as there are attitudes like that, it's going to be very hard for this virus to really go away. Actually, that's interesting, especially Mississippi being so close to Georgia and Atlanta. How much is that going to start affecting Atlanta, which then starts to affect production staying more in LA or New York, like the domino effects of every little thing. It's again, one of those things we're not going to be able to know until five years when we look back, but like how it's butterfly effects that I think will be fascinating to look back on. And look at it, it's, it's not like they're gonna just stop making shows if there's another outbreak. We, <laughs> no. America wants its entertainment. You know, it's, our, it's, <laughs> it's one of our biggest industrial exports, entertainment. And it's, it's not, you know, we're not essential workers like, you know, like the term is, but in, on the other hand, people sort of, sort of treat what we do as an essential product, like, like hamburgers and Coca-Cola. America want their meat movies and TV show. They get bored, they want, they want emotional stimulus and we give it to them. Hey Dan, did you know that the state of emer the state of emergency, the state of New Jersey, actually, if you go online to look for a COVID vaccine and you are not a resident of New Jersey but work in the entertainment business, you are eligible for the vaccine. Wow, did not know that. Ooh, I need to look I that a, up right now. I have a I have an assistant director friend who last week during prep just drove down to Camden, New Jersey, for his first 8 a.m. shot. Um, well, I, I'm waiting until it's closer because I just I need my sleep more than that. <laughs> I just got mine on Friday. My 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 number nice. one shot nice. of Moderna in oh, Westchester. Well, thank oh, you. But New Jersey yeah. says New Jersey is actually saying that in terms of their desire to grow the industry in their state, uh, we we are essential workers. Right. In essence, it's actually which I funny. Found I ended. Up, I got into a little bit of a Twitter debate way back in I don't know, October or something with somebody who said, we're not essential. I'm like, look, I'm not by any means making the argument we're essential compared to nurses, doctors, frontline workers, hell, even grocery store workers. That being said, I think our industry is actually, by going back to work, helping to stop the spread. Because the literally mm. tens of thousands of people who are now being tested on a regular basis, constantly wearing PPE, who wouldn't normally, um, the contact tracing is at a much higher quality. Like the show I'm on, anyone who's tested positive, anyone in their pod didn't get it. Like did they quarantined, but they never tested positive. Like yeah. we find out so freaking fast and we do contact tracing immediately so much faster than your average state or city local government can do it. Totally. That it's, li it's literally taking the money that the industry pays and putting it towards stopping the spread. Because if we weren't at work, if the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people across the United States in our business were not at work, we'd be staying home, yes, theoretically, but maybe you're out doing something else. Maybe you're not wearing a PPE while you're out. Maybe you're not getting tested and you don't even realize for five, six days that you're actually positive and you spread it everywhere. It's like, we're arguably helping to stop the spread depending on how strict your protocols are. Listen, I, I, wish, I wish the teaching profession, I wish education yes. had the resources that we do. Yes, you know, oh Because God, really so we're, we're in such a lucrative business that mm -hmm. overall we can afford to, to pay for all the PPE and all the tests and, and the extra staff. I wish, I wish the same could be said for teachers, which, which obviously that's more vital to our nation than, than what we do. Uh, mm -hmm. Although on the other hand too, well, well, again, while people are quarantining themselves and, and staying inside on perfectly good days like today, they wanna watch something. So <laughs> yeah. we give them something to watch. You exactly. Know? We, give them, we give them an eight part series to binge on. And give them another reason it. to stay home and not but, go outside. Not go it outside. Is, it it kind of does make a statement that they do have some money to burn. Yep. And, and then when, if I ask for a, an, a, a scissor lift, Yes. To like help them save time <laughs> and money, actually. But they're like, no, we can't afford that. It makes me like look at all the stacks of plastic for lunch that costs less than my scissor lift. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's and I, I, I they're different. I get it, but it's like it is. There's an irony to it that yeah. uh, doesn't escape me. Well, I think we've established that uh, yes, there is money in the industry, 
to <laughs> put these to put these protocols into effect, but it is creating an environment where you are safer and on set than you are in society in general. And you're spending your entire day under these conditions and with these controls. Um, I'm reminded as an aside, there was something that went viral where a woman was complaining about in California about her restaurant was shut down, but there was this eating area set up nearby and she made a video and again, all sympathy for her and her restaurant, but it was a lot of apples to oranges in the sense that the way crews are eating was single person at a table, handed a meal, your mask is off for 10 minutes, you eat your food, you put your mask on and return versus what you're doing in a restaurant. I mean, that was one of our biggest things on, on the sets is there's really no socializing at lunch anymore Mm-mm. on a film set. And if you're going to conduct a restaurant like that, you're going to stay safe. But obviously, we're working in a different condition. Again, not to wade into California politics, but it just goes, again, to the fact that we were working safely on set. On the uses of vaccines, I don't think it's going to change it all that much because those protocols need to stay in place as we're still learning the science about the vaccines and such. And if people, and you know, whether you get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine or who gets it or how quickly it rolls out to Allison's point, I think through the year and into 2022, we're going to keep using some version of these protocols because the virus is still going to be out there and we don't know, and we don't want to be responsible for, for folks getting it, I think overall. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got, uh, you know, the first vaccine, once I get my second vaccine, it's, it's not like I'm stripping off my mask and going out and like licking telephone poles or something, you know, I'm going to, I'm still going to be very careful about everything I do. And I'm still going to keep distance. and I'm still going to wear my mask because the science still is out. We still, it's not hundred, nothing is hundred percent. And we're learning as we go along as a society and as a business We're you know, we're learning from, from, from data that keeps coming in and mistakes that we've made. Well, we will look back and we'll get a better idea of where things go. Katie, we're not going to wait five years to reconvene. You guys plan to come back. We'll see how things develop over the next I mean, it's been almost exactly so. one year since or the first time we gathered. It's a yearly <laughs> anniversary. We'll check back in. Thank guys, you. thanks for taking the time today to talk this through. Good seeing everybody. Thank you. Good Absolutely. seeing everybody. Good to see you all. Listeners, welcome back. And thanks for your patience over the winter hiatus. I've got enough episodes in the pipeline to maintain a weekly schedule for the reasonable future, and I'll most likely publish multiple episodes per week as we get closer to the Oscars. If you enjoyed last year's coverage of the technical awards, we're planning to do something similar this year as well. As always, your feedback is welcome. You can send email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowthelineoneword.biz, that's B-I-Z. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, I'd encourage you to peruse our past seasons, see if anything else sparks your interest. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's on Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Thanks again for listening. Be safe out there.